Ryan Olke. What's going on, brother? Hey, man. Good to see you. Good to be here again. Let's inhabit, baby. Or keep on inhabiting. That's right. 2021. Yeah. So we were wondering what uh, we're going to be talking about today. Um, you know, we're going to be taking a little bit of a break from what we were doing, which is sort of this integral media series, which we were just talking about in the pre-show, yep. um, which have been, you know, I think some of our biggest hits, um, both in terms of like how I felt walking away from the conversation and also in terms of how it's being yeah. received by people. Um, it's awesome. I mean, we it, it's funny, right? Because I put it up on our podcast and the audio version of it is like our most successful podcast that we've done in at least, <laughs> at least the last year. And this is just people, you know, some of those film clips is like, there's no dialogue. It's just like music, especially like towards the end with the fountain and stuff. Yeah, right. Um, but people love listening to it as much as they love watching it, which is fascinating to me. That is really fascinating. Well, that's super cool. It's been fun to do that one. And I know we, yeah, we have a few more ideas around that. We just need a, it takes preparation. It does. <laughs> yeah, so we needed to have a little more time before. It, it takes a one. long time, not to just to like select the clips that you're going to use, but to, to mm -hmm. edit them out and yeah, yeah, use yep. and string them together. Yeah. But we're going to continue that again. I mean, maybe even as quickly as next month, right? We're yeah. talking about doing an episode. Uh, yeah, that'd be great. Looking at comedy, um, which yeah. I think will be a blast. That'll uh, be really a lot of fun. That. Yeah, I can't wait for that. But today we're going to be talking, uh, we're going to back up a little bit. I think we're going to kind of take a step back. And yep. we're going to be talking about inhabiting your practice, mm -hmm. just sort of generally, globally, universally, um, which means that this is going to be a practice-based show where we are practicing practice. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> shit. I just about, I needed to practice my agile reflexes. Luckily, they're still kinking in. I almost dumped my water over. Well, <laughs> want to get my notebook here because sometimes I like to take notes in real time. So holy shit! That so these was are the benefits. Time. These are the benefits of a of a solid kinesthetic practice. Yes, I incorporate so I don't spill water or everything. Yeah, so in, inhabiting your practice. Yeah, uh, it's surprising. It's like one of those topics where sometimes we'll we'll think of a topic. I'm like, didn't we do that yet? <laughs> and uh, it turns out, no, no, we haven't done it, um, which is perfect. So you know, and really, when we talk about inhabiting your practice, we're talking about obviously an integral practice, and what does that mean? And um, I mentioned that. Uh, we have an integral Dharma training over at Buddhist Geeks that we've run three times and we're finishing up this week. And um, it's very practically oriented. And, you know, always at the end of that training and anybody who's interested in integral, there's always a question left with like, well, how the hell do I put this into practice? How do I do this? And especially because there's so many identified dimensions of, of the human experience that could have a corresponding practice to it. So we become aware, distinctly aware of more aspects of our experience, which is great. That means we're more informed, we're more aware, we can integrate more, we can respond to more, but it also means it could be potentially overwhelming, you know, mm -hmm. uh, just like getting a, you know, a download all of a sudden it's like, okay, well now do I have to be practicing a million things and how do I do it? And I've seen a lot of different attempts in the integral community. Some I think work out well, and then some I don't think actually produce great effects in the end. So I think there's a lot to talk about, about how to actually do it. So uh, yeah. I, I, I have more, I can keep going, Corey. I didn't know if, uh, you know, <laughs> if, if usually you're setting things up here, but I, I have, I have a, a few places that I like to start around this conversation. Totally. Well, it's, it's one of the reasons I'm so looking forward to this particular episode, because I know that when it comes to this topic, I can just kind of pull the string in the back of your head and let you go <laughs> for the next hour and, and people will love it. <laughs> um, and, and, and we'll get there. I, I really do want yeah. you to riff, but I want to, you yeah. know, 
maybe we spend yeah. a little time just kind of framing this, right? Yeah. Like yeah. why is practice important, particularly yep. here in integral land? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because really, I think if we look at the last, you know, I'm just going to round up a little bit, the last 20 years of integral emergence, right? The, the, the emergence of the integral project all over the world has been largely conceptual, cognitive, theoretical, mm-hmm. et cetera. We can mm-hmm. call this, you know, sort of in a way, a masculine expression of integral, right? Like we have we have a safe distance from all phenomenon we're witnessing and we're kind of, you know, yeah. coming up with our algorithms and equations right. to put everything in its right place and achieve Definitely. this beautiful vision that, that we can hold in our heads. Mm-hmm. But of course, the, the, the entire point of integral itself is not just to have this third person kind of, you know, comprehensive vision of reality, mm-hmm. but it's actually to have a more comprehensive experience of yourself, your life, your relationships, yeah. and you know what I mean? Your, your actual experience of the world. I mean, this, <laughs> is, this is the other beat of integral is that it's calling yep. not just all of, you know, sort of the world out there and putting it all into its proper kind of place and perspective, yeah. but it's actually inviting us to bring our perspective online and to truly, again, inhabit all of these different dimensions of our reality as fully as we possibly can. Yes. Um, and that takes work, man. You know, that's the problem with it is like, you can pick up a book and, you know, just sort of like uh, geek out on some of these ideas for hours at a time and time, you know, passes mm-hmm. pretty quickly before you know mm-hmm. it. It's like, oh, I've been reading this for three hours and you walk away and your brain, your brain just feels so sort of stimulated and kind of mm-hmm. pregnant and all that. But then it's, mm-hmm. it's like, what's that next beat? How do right. I actually start putting this into motion? And that's where practice really comes online. And I, you know, I sort of see practice, if, if all the cognitive theoretical stuff is the masculine side of, of integral, I really see practice as sort of this rich kind of feminine side where it's like, mm-hmm. we're actually focusing not just on how to look at our experiences, but like, mm-hmm. let's have the direct experience right now. And let's just, let's have it together. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. let's actually create a, a sort of a community and a container here yeah. um, where we can, you know, kind of step into this, right. um, you know, with full volition and uh, and have an experience together. Mm-hmm. Um, so this to me feels like it's, again, the fulfillment, the maturation of yes. integral itself. Yes. Right. Well, that's a good. So the, yeah, the question, why is practice important? Yep. So, you know, with, with our listeners here, you all are already familiar with integral you know theory and and things like that so if i was speaking to somebody new to that first we'd start off why would it why is it even important and useful to have an integral perspective right and take that mm-hmm. first step back but we're beyond that point now it's like okay well we have that we have some informed perspective in an integral way like you said so yeah why do we need the practice and you know we've talked I, I talk a lot about, you know, embodied awareness practice or embodiment, you know, and especially through the realization process of, from Judith Blackstone. And she always makes the point of like, even with just waking, waking up, you know, there's the category of waking up. A lot of times people wake up only through part of their being. So in, in, in a certain way, even though the waking up qualities seem boundless, formless, timeless, you know, our, our lived experience, our awakening does have an integration and a form. And so we wake up in a partial way. So we might wake up from the neck up, you know, like that's only how we experience an open vast awareness is from our neck up, but we can't really experience that permeating our being, in which case that's why a practice is needed. I think it's something similar here uh, across multiple categories, not just waking up, but all the four ups that, you know, if, if we're only living in that world of mind uh, from that perspective taking 
<laughs> position, then it's really not integrated in our, into our being, which means it's not our lived experience. In, and it means that we're limited in our ability to integrate that in life and respond in life. And I see this happen all the time. This is really common in an integral community, partly because of like, you know, in the past who might've been attracted to it might be people who are naturally more safe, cerebrally oriented, which is not a bad thing. That's part of our being. So I always want to make sure that it's clear that like the opposite perspective of like, oh, don't be in your head. It's like, no, we're not, I'm not going to turn, we don't need to turn parts of ourselves into enemies and have them battling. The right. mind is powerful and it's part of our being. It's how we know the world. So that's not a problem. It's just like if we're stuck there and, and we're kind of habituated to be there. Um, so we have to find ways to, if, if we, if what we see, we identify as being important, then necessarily second, we have to say, how do I realize that? How do I know if I've realized that or not? You know, and, mm. and then there's some other questions I would put here. What do we even think is going to happen? What do we expect from practice? Because there are a lot of assumptions First off, even when we start to practice in any, in any context, but especially in integral, what are our assumptions about practice, the results of practice? So that's important as well. And that's the next step I go to is like, first that question, why is practice important? Just like, I don't know how much more we could say about that. It's just like, that's how it is. And so you have to look at your own experience in an honest way and find out what, where's your edge at? Where, where have, um, where have you fulfilled some transformation, some integration, some healing, whatever it might be, and where does it feel lacking? And if, if it's hard to ask that question, then that's where the practice is actually. Right. <laughs> it's like, what's, what's the, the constriction there, the hang up there that it makes it difficult for me to have that honest conversation with myself, you know, and do that with compassion. Yeah. Uh, but the next part all... is, yeah. Is... Go ahead. I, I don't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. No, no, no. The next part for me is just really like, what are the assumptions about practice? Because the assumptions we have about practice will greatly influence how they unfold, how we how we go about the practice, um, how we navigate it, and and what the results we experience. You know, like because mm -hmm. we skip past that, you know, and just go. Oftentimes, that's the other thing that can happen is maybe not getting stuck in the mind, but just poof, blasting right to all the practices. And then there's all these assumptions guiding it. And, you know, if, if one of the key things in integral we talk about, for example, in growing up is um, disembedding the uh, unconscious structures of mind that are always operating and turning them to objects. Okay. That's never a process that's done, but that's the similar thing, like disembedding these assumptions, turning them to objects. So that way we can work more fruitfully, you know, with our practice. All beautifully said, yeah. And you know, a couple of points I just want to highlight yeah. there. Um, I, I loved when you were talking about how even when we are engaged in practice, oftentimes it is sort of neck up, right? And this show, this, you know, and really the entire integral life practice sort of gestalt as a whole is inviting more embodiment there. It's inviting more, more um, inhabitation of our practice so that we're bringing, you know, I, a perfect example, Ryan, is, um, you know, we've been talking in this community about shadow work for years right and we've got some really really great sort of easy practices uh to help people sort of reclaim their shadows and you know ken mm -hmm. calls it the three to one process mm -hmm. which is like a, a version of gestalt therapy almost um but even that even when we're talking about this shadow process it's often framed in a very cognitive i'm using my mind to visualize sort of this disowned subject that i have yeah I'm having an into, you know sort of a one-to-one -one conversation I especially say the healing the shadow stuff is especially like the, the, the contrast there stands out in the neural community around that in particular, because 
I have found other techniques way more effective than, than that approach. Not that approach is really useful to me, but there are a lot of modalities around that. And usually you just like, you have to find some other ways to get into it because the, the shadows are so resistant. Totally. Uh, you know, it can just become storytelling. Yeah. And That's I would right. say with the neck up thing, that tends to be a tendency in the integral community, uh, but other communities and individuals in this community it can be the other way where it's like the practice is really emotionally uh oriented and then this this part becomes the the shadow you know so i want to just like take a note that that shadow exists in its other form it just tends to not be yep. the dominant well and just to kind of you know i want to square yeah, that yeah. circle i want to point yep. people to the fact that you know you have a course on our our platform called um embodied success and within mm -hmm. embodied success you actually have a shadow practice and it's yeah. a little bit different than some of the other shadow practices mm -hmm. that we do in integral land because this is actually an embodied shadow practice i mean you're doing yep. shadow work not just sort of cerebrally right you're not just yep. sort of doing storytelling with your various sort of inner voices and subjects, this is actually a way to ground this in the body and to, to, you know, find ways to sort of, you know, it's almost like using your body as a barometer of authenticity in a certain kind of yeah. way and, and well, engagement. And it's just yeah, that, yes. that sort of novelty, that sort of like a lot of us already yeah. have these practices that we're, we're engaging in, right? Yeah. There's always an opportunity to bring even more of ourselves that yeah. Practice. And that's the thing. So like, just a quick comment on that, because I want to do, I want to circle back around those assumptions, but our, our shadows, but also just all of, all of our potential exists throughout our being. And so awareness mind is only one aspect of it. So Judith would classic identifies in a classic way that kind of corresponds to chakras and things like that. But then we have to get into that conversation. If I say, where do you experience your ability to express yourself? A lot of times people will point to here. Now, if we haven't had this ability, it might be with our hands, right? Mm -hmm. But here, like love, where do you feel love? Usually here. Mm -hmm. Power, midsection, okay? So like if we have shadows, they're going to be in, in different parts of our body and you can't just, if you're only working with mind, sorry, right. it's not going to work. And the thing is, is like to inhabit means to like consciously inhabit and be present without throughout our being. Right. And, and so that means all our capacities and that means shadow and potential. So, you know, that's what we do a lot on this show is like try to include everything, which is what integral tries to do from a conceptual standpoint as a theory. And this is doing it from a, an experiential standpoint. Yep. One, one other small point, and then yeah. I want you to get back to your assumptions because that's going to be a pull Ryan's string and watch him go. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the other thing is you're talking about the, some of the people who are naturally attracted to integral and some of the qualities yeah. that we've seen in um, some of the folks who just have, again, this natural inclination. Yeah, right? a lot of people who self-selected into integral often do have this kind of cognitive bent to them. I would say there's another piece of that too, um, and this is something that I've been talking about with uh, some of my my friends lately. And you and I actually talked about it on an episode we did last year when we did uh, what was it? Inhabit your wound, which is oh, a yeah. great episode. I encourage people to check out. There's an element of integral which, because it represents wholeness, it attracts its opposite. Hmm we oftentimes get people who get attracted to integral because they are coming from an innate sense of their own brokenness. Yeah, right. You know, yes. here are the traumas I'm sort of carrying around with me. Here's these issues. Here's this uh, claustrophobia I feel in my own self. Here's, mm -hmm. you know, all of these sort of challenges that, you know, attract people to this path of healing. 
And that's where practice comes in because like learning the theory, sort of having an intellectual understanding of the framework that can show you some really amazing paths, right. In order to start dealing with whatever, you know, sort of brokenness you feel like you're, you're trying to heal, Mm -hmm. but actually walking the path that's Mm -hmm. practice. So, you know, the intellectual part will show you the gateway, but in order to walk through that gateway and ascend, you know, that mountain and to become the genuine wounded healer that I think all of us in this audience are right. All of us are wounded healers in some way. This requires practice. Yeah, definitely. And, and again, I want to emphasize that like, you know, often strengths, weaknesses, uh, challenges, you know, flip two, two sides of a coin. So like, it's always important to know, like if, if I'm, you're a person who's oriented more towards mind and uh, philosophy or, uh, you know, awareness practices, things like that. Well, then that's wonderful. That's a strength that you can bring to bear in the way that, you know, you just said, Corey, you can use that as leverage. It's also just to, that we have to notice that like, oh, well, the flip side of that is that, oh, here are the areas that I don't tend to pay attention to. And you could even, <clears throat> even put it simply as talk about fluency. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, even just if you want to call it neutrally, you know, and not even talk about shadows or disowning, it's like, well, a person might be really, really fluent in mind, you know, Mm -hmm. and then you say, well, what are you noticing in your body? Like, I got two words, you know, and that's it. It's like, okay, well, that should say something that like minimally the familiarity is, is lacking a bit there or feelings, you know? So just saying neutral, it's like, that's great. So we're going to spend a lot of our time. Some people are professional philosophers and that's just going to be natural that like, well, this is where I spend, or some people are more oriented in psychological ways, whatever it might be, or art. So, um, and then, like you said, I think practice communities, that's something to point, pay attention to as well, because people are going to be part of different practice communities here. You know, like it makes sense that people might be part of this community and there is now, a, you know, a practice element, you know, you can join practice sessions here in the integral community. Uh, there's multiple practice, uh, practice communities out there that people are probably part of. And it's, it's important to pay attention to what is the orientation of every practice community? What are the assumptions that people have? What are the tendencies they have? And obviously an integrally oriented community, hopefully if it's done well, will make all of that more and more transparent, you know, so that it's a little bit more obvious, like here's who we are and how we orient. But, you know, that's a process and it's difficult, but it's, it's really common, you know, in spiritual communities, you know, like which community will attract certain kinds of shadows? Well, it's going to be pretty obvious. Like when you look at it, you can say, well, I'm not going to be surprised if that shadow exists in that community over there, this shadow exists here. It's, you know, it's inevitable. So that's important to, to pay attention to, um, which, you know, circles back around to assumptions. Now the integral community though, one thing that I want to, that I tend to notice and want to point out is how much, and you said something earlier that kind of made me think about this. I can't remember what it was, but when we, oh, the wholeness bit, mm. being attracted to wholeness. Now really, if I want to sniff out the shadow there is, being attracted to something that I can tie a nice, neat bow around. Yes. That's complete. That's known. That's predictable. Um, and that assumption there is honestly more tied to the rational mind, which for me, I've been thinking more of it kind of like in a similar way of the pre-trans fallacy a little bit that it's that for me, um, integral transcends and includes the rational mind. It adds more to that. In which case, this is why I think Ken uses that phrase, true but partial. It doesn't say true and complete, you know? And so that applies 
experientially that's just true of life you know like it's not something to assert or, or uh, from kin you know it's just like if we look at experience we can know a lot and that's really important um and we can respond to a lot but we can't nail it down completely you know and there's never going to be a nice neat bow so like that's the thing is like feel how much i want that like if i just do this practice that practice this practice that plus that plus that will equal this and everything right. will be great. It will be complete, you know, it's yeah. like nothing left out. And I know that's the, I, that's the spirit of integral, but it's, it's not it's the an experience. On, it's an ongoing experiment and yeah. an experience that like constantly reality is evolving and changing. And even if it didn't evolve and change, like how much do we know in this moment? And can we know everything? No, the reality is mysterious. Yeah. So that greatly influences how we practice is if the assumptions we hold like dude real real briefly this yeah. this is why i try to to emphasize the wounded healer archetype mm-hmm. more than i think the other archetypes that a lot of people are walking around with which is this idea of like a fully formed integralist right mm-hmm. if i do this and i do this and i do this and i do this i will arrive at a destination and when i arrive at that destination i'll be able to look at myself and i'll feel complete and whole and happy and mm-hmm. complete and it's yep. like, well, I I understand symbolically why integral represents that to you. Again, it's sort yes. of this almost like archetypal kind of uh, you know meaning that that it conveys as a symbol, that it carries as a symbol. Yep. Um, and yet, the actual experience of integral is there really is no destination here. This is an this is poetry in motion. Every mm-hmm. day we are integrating, right? And hopefully today I'm integrating a little bit more fully than I was yesterday, right? It's this incremental moment to moment, day by day path. And there's never a point where you achieve full integration. It's like, you know, Ken often says, it's like, uh, it's like talking about people who want to be fully educated. What does that mean? It's meaningless to talk about being fully educated because there's always something you don't know, right? right. It's the same thing with integral where integral is more of a verb to me than it is a noun, right? Yeah, or yeah, 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 totally. And, you know, there is a sense, especially like in integral where we talk about the growing up part, uh, pointing to the fact that there is ever kind of unfolding potential. So there is a sense of an arrow, you know, here, like, you know, air of, of depth and time. So there is like forward movement, you know, it, uh, there is deepening, you know, so mm-hmm. it's not just like a neutral. It's a treadmill. Yeah, it's not a tribal, it's not neutral, but like as far as how that's unfolding the multidimensional nature of, of the experience of being here, you know, alive in life. Yeah, it's it's profound. And so in which case we can't contain it all in a box. And so our practices can't be that way either. Even though what's interesting is practice is there's different ways of talking about practice and, and it's very intentional time that we set aside in a dedicated way to work with our experience, observe our experience, cultivate something, et cetera. And so in that sense, we create a nice box. I mean, often practice environments feel like that. You go to a gym, there it is in a box, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, you have a place to meditate. You know, there is a sense of like controlling the in- factors of an environment such that you can focus completely on a on an activity, a practice. But so you can then take that out of that controlled safe, helpful practice environment into life where that's not that way, you know, it's not that way at all. So to me upfront, that's the biggest thing. And that also helps to temper the, the tendency to want to become superhumans, you know, like, right. like, which is another thing that can happen in, in integral, you know, it's just like, 
I'm going to practice every quadrant and every up and everything. And I'm going to do it in one practice. I'm like, good luck with that. Good it's luck like, with that. It's like new year's resolutions where you're like, I'm going to fundamentally change everything. And then three days later, it all falls apart because no, I you're know, not. I know. I would say like what you were describing earlier too, about like the wounded healer and noticing that like, if we let go of that, or we feel into that desire for me, tenderness comes up, you know, yeah. to, to like relax into it and accept that and be like, you know, it feels into our mortality, you know, into not knowing, but there can be freedom in that too, of like being able to let go because then this continual internal project and efforting that's like fuels this, like, I got to get to the final destination can relax yeah. and which, and that's for waking up to me. That happens a lot in waking up. I, we can experience freedom, which then makes it more fluid to respond and practice in life. So that's good news through that thing. But like that tenderness, if it's not felt, if it's there and it's not felt, it's a shadow and it will continue to operate in the background. And it doesn't mean that we can't practice and, and experience change, but it's just going to be hampered a bit. And that's where cleaning up comes in. You know, it, it frees up our energy to me, you know, it gives yeah. me more energy to apply into other practices, you know? So. Uh, Beautiful frame. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's funny because like what I do when I, when I talk about this and I have to get, I'm going to be talking about this tonight in integral, our integral Dharma group. I don't talk about anything about like the putting together a practice until the very end. Like, so people are going like, oh, no, 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 let's talk about like the one, two, three and all this stuff. And I'm like, no, let's slow it down because if we can slow it down enough and get all these points clear and we can really experience it, then the practice of it will be much, much easier. You know, um, one other thing to um, talking about wholeness, uh, one distinction I make in this group talking about trying to describe integral in different ways. And also I like comparing the four ups, like how are they different, how they interact, but wholeness, for example, um, with cleaning up, we're, we're trying to heal fragmentation within who we are right now. So when we heal that, we regain more of a wholeness that's available right now. Mm -hmm. But when we talk about wholeness and growing up, you know, that wholeness is evolving and transforming. So it's mm -hmm. not one static whole. It's a constant you know, that, that, chain of- Yeah. Of so there's different ways to say it. Like there is a wholeness that's just ever present. And there's also a wholeness of who we are right now that we can reclaim that was lost in the past or for whatever reason, you know? Interesting point. Ken Wilber right now is writing a book about this exact- Oh, really? Subject, about the oh. many different uh, versions of wholeness. Oh, and how really? there's a different kind of wholeness available with each of these sort of uh, integral elements. Oh, very cool. Yeah. I didn't know he was writing. After one, I didn't know he was writing another book. So look at that, man. He, he, either he's falling into your group or you're falling into his or you're oh, creating. Man, that'll be amazing then to have to have that like in reference because I'm sure he's going to say all that much better. Great. Um, okay, cool. So um, so for me, I don't, if you want to say anything else from that, I mean, I have another area where I go when I think about this. Um, kind of yeah. beyond the assumptions, but what do you got? I, the, the only other point I feel like I need yeah. to make right now is just pointing out that even the theoretical sort of masculine, you know, um, abstract version of integral. I just want to mm -hmm. point out that even that circles back because it is also practice-based. Mm -hmm. So in other words, you know, the entire integral approach to truth, to knowledge, I mean, on an epistemic level, this is all practice-based. So we get the integral vision from taking all of these different methodologies. And a methodology is just a fancy way of saying a practice, 
right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. This is how we acquire knowledge. And then integral adds a couple meta practices on top of that in order to weave all of these multi-truths together into a more cohesive mm. and coherent whole. Mm. Mm. Um, so even on a theoretical level, you can't talk about integral theory without simultaneously talking about practice because integral is an inactive framework. Yeah. It says, if you mm. want to know this, do that. And in fact, yeah. you can't know this unless you do that. Yeah. In that sense, there's a, there's a very much a pragmatic spirit that is automatically part of, of integral theory. And that makes you know, a lot of sense. I mean, given, you know, it's given Ken's background in, in waking up in Buddhism, Buddhism mm-hmm. is very pragmatic in exactly that way. It, it's literally like say like, Hey, things are like this, but go practice and find out for yourself. Yep. So same thing here, you know, yep. that yeah. if you want to know how many moons around Jupiter there are, there's literally a practice for that. You can't know the answer unless you do the practice. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. And the practice is get a telescope, look through the telescope, compare your results with a community of the adequate. And you know what I mean? And, and, and uh-huh. verify your experiences. So, I mean, every step of the way, this kind of, um, you know, uh, empirical model of like collect data, yep. uh, you know, form a hypothesis, collect data, check that data against other people. All of this is practice based, whether we're talking yeah. physics or systems theory or mm-hmm. psychology, spiritual awakening. I mean, the, the whole thing, everything is always practice based yeah. every step of the way. Yeah. And this is a good example because um, it teases out a little bit more here of how to differentiate, how to identify like how we're orienting towards practice. And, you know, and especially with philosophy, it, this is not about gathering facts, okay? So this is really interesting because we can read a book and we can say, oh, well, here's these things I know now. Like I know quadrants. That could be treated as a fact. Like here's a fact, um, a framework that, you know, even if we're going to say it's abstract, it's a fact. Here are these four quadrants. But really integral for me is not about the facts. So like we can't just rest on that and say like, well, I know a bunch of stuff because I read this book and I have it in my mind, okay. memorizes facts. But that happens quite a lot really does here this is about capacity to me capacity and you could say insights as well um because those are two different things i often identify those two in in waking up like the difference between capacity and insight but um capacity is like well how 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 capable am i of inhabiting the four quadrants in a conscious way like when i'm in a situation because a fact can help like with deciding how to respond to something we're gonna need no facts of like covid for example there's a lot of facts that are really important but resting on facts and resting on it as like just putting knowledge together and an equation together is not really what we're doing here. You know, it's like, how can I inhabit and cultivate these capacities? Insight in a certain sense, because like, especially in the growing up arena, like having certain insights that can fundamentally change our orientation in life. Mm. Like for example, fundamentally disembedding a way of looking at life. And then now all of a sudden, you know, we're reconfigured and we now see more, which changes Mm. how our capacities our potential. So that to me is what this is about. So capacity and insight happens in all those, the four ups, you know, and waking up, cleaning up, growing and showing up. So another way to like first start off with practicing, like, can I clearly identify these differences here? And then, then now we can like, well, okay, now how do we go about deciding what we're going to practice? Right. Now for me, I still, I will insert another step here again, to slow down the process of not just jumping right to pick your practices and, the, and how you're going to configure them all. Um, for me, I like to go to questions, as people will know, in, in both the courses I have, you know, in Bodied Success and Emerge on, on Integral Life, um, I use inquiry a lot. And, and inquiry is just a fantastic 
practice, especially to sort of disrupt all the other things we just talked about. Mm-hmm. It helps to just tether us like and keep us in this process of wondering about how we think about life and how we're thinking about practice. So um, you know, the question that I like to use most is what is needed? It's a really simple question. We use a lot of questions, but to not even assume that we already know what's needed, that slows us down as well. Okay, like at least check in. Like maybe we think, oh, I should do this or that and the other. Well, how do you know? Like why? Why do you think you should do X practice? Why do you think you should meditate an hour a day? Or why do you think you should uh, whatever, do Taekwondo or whatever it might be? You know, why? Mm-hmm. It, can't, it can't be because can happen to talk about a practice in one book sometime. Right. It can't be because somebody in the community lists off practices and said, these practices will change your life. Who knows? It's good to have a reference bank of, of it's good to know where you can go look for practices, but first we have to feel into the real time data information of our own experience and find out what's here that needs my attention or going beyond just our individual experience, what's happening around me in my environment, mm-hmm. in my community, my relationships that I feel is needed, you know, and, and, and I need to practice in order to be able to respond to it, you know? Um, so simplifying into a question, what is needed is really useful. And then we have to say, well, how do we ask the question? Because if we ask it from here up and we're habituated that way, we need a way to do that. And I've talked about this before, but embodied inquiry is the way I do it. So some way we have to disarm the conceptual mind, which is not doesn't mean take it offline it just means not let it be the dominant part of our experience and so dropping into our body however much we can inhabiting our body inhabiting this non-conceptual space throughout our whole body letting all of our being respond to the question and then asking what is needed and then just seeing immediately what arises Clearing the clearing our experience again, dropping in, ask the question, what is needed? And doing it multiple times, not being satisfied with one answer or one response, paying attention to anything that arises. And then usually out of that, we get something that we feel. It could be like, I, I've got to feel it somewhere. I got to feel it somewhere, okay? It can't just be like some abstract thought in the mind. So I could feel it in my head. I could feel it in my throat, in my chest or wherever, you know? I could feel it. Yeah, there's something here. There's something here. I don't know. I don't see. I'm not capable of. And so therefore I want to find a practice that will help me. So can I real, real brief. Yeah, go, go for it. Yeah. Because um, I'm aware <laughs> yeah. right now that you and I are having a, a, a fairly cognitive conversation right now. Yep. Right. Which of yep. course, this is a podcast. This is what podcasts mm-hmm. are, right? Yes. I'm wondering if maybe um, you'd be willing to give us like a three minute taste of exactly the sort of inquiry practice that you're kind of describing in third person right now. Yep. Maybe we can have like a real quick first and second person taste together, you and I and in our audience together. Yeah, sure. Would you be able to like give us just a short yeah. meditation? Yeah, totally. Well, um, so this particular one is, is usually I do it with somebody because it's, it's, it's a little different to do when I don't see somebody. Well, I'll try it. We'll just try it. I mean, it's basically the same instructions I just give, I gave. So Real quick, so there, I'm going to say that like this, your ability to do this practice will be served if you practice something like the attuning to fundamental consciousness practice that I usually guide, mm-hmm. get familiar with what it means to inhabit the body. I'm not going to do that because that's like a whole nother practice. Yep. But so first, just take a comfortable, attentive posture. It doesn't really matter what your posture is. So, you know, you could be seated um, you could be standing, you could be lying down, but basically where you feel relaxed yet attentive, okay? 
And then here you can close your eyes. So this is nice here, but you can always keep your eyes open um, at any time. Always pay attention to your body, okay? We're not trying to put ourselves in some sort of rigid being or, or holding ourselves in a rigid way. So the first thing we can do is just notice our breathing however it is, okay? So we're not even trying to change the breath initially. Just noticing however it is, whether it's quick or slow, uh, bumpy, smooth, deep, shallow. It could vary quite a bit. And this can seem really simple, but already we allow ourselves to just be. Um, we can call it just sitting, doing nothing. This would be similar to honestly, like Sogjin practices, Mahamudra, where we're just, we're not controlling or manipulating our experience. We're letting go. So just noticing your breathing, however it is in this moment. Now we can take an intentional breath. And one way to do that is to bring your breath through your nose, if that feels comfortable, bring it smoothly and evenly in through your nose and smoothly and evenly through, out through your nose or your mouth if that's easier. You can do it to a count of three if that's helpful. So counting three silently, inhaling. And three exhaling. This kind of breath is a common experience, a common practice. It helps to regulate the nervous system, helps to bring our energy a little bit more into a natural alignment. And now we can take one more intentional breath. And here we bring the inhale through our nose, straight into our head and making inward contact with ourselves as deeply as we can without straining. And the exhale release wherever it wants to go. So this breath is an opportunity for us to consciously come in contact with ourselves with the internal depth of our being, our internal depth of our bodies, the internal space. Now, especially if you're familiar with the previous practice, here we would want to inhabit the body. And we're going to do this in one simple way. First, bring your attention to your feet. And you can wiggle your toes, your feet, if it's helpful to bring your attention this far down in your body. Really feel the contact your feet are making with whatever's beneath you. This helps to bring our, our awareness down through our body may not be perfect, but at least there's some settling downward towards the feet. And here we can now inhabit our feet. So inhabit your feet. This means to come into the internal space of your feet. You're not just aware of the shape of your feet. You're not just aware of the different sensations, whether your feet are hot or cold or whatever. You're coming into the internal base of your feet. 
and experience that you are the internal space of your feet. Whatever degree you can. And now we can inhabit our whole body. So inhabit your body as much as you can, experiencing that you are the internal space of your body. This will likely not be perfect and that's okay. This can get deeper and easier over time with practice. And now that we've settled, come into our bodies. I wanna ask the simple question, what is needed? Pay attention to your immediate response, no matter if it makes sense or not. What is needed? It doesn't matter if it makes sense. It doesn't matter if the answer is profound or if it's a blank. Now drop the question again, okay? So let the question go, let your answers go. Let any movement of a narrative or a story go. Bring your attention to your feet again. Inhabit your feet, inhabit your whole body. Take a nice breath. What is needed? Listen to what comes up. Okay, and drop the question again. So now we're gonna drop the practice, okay? And one thing to finish up here, I'll talk more about this, but open the eyes and just take in your environment. You can, and you can even turn your head a little bit, you know, just notice that here I am, you, here, there you are, okay? So the practice is really, really simple and we can take more time with it. It's really nice to take time with that. You can have as much space between asking question as you want. The idea is to not get lost in some analysis. The idea is to situate ourselves such that we feel as present as possible, non-conceptually, and then to surprise ourselves, if you will, with the question such that it produces a, an embodied response that we can trust because we feel it arise from within ourselves. So it could be just like, I need sleep. Maybe that's the first thing that comes up. And it's like, okay, that's what came up. But if we sit with the practice for 15 minutes, 20 minutes, the question might exhaust itself and be like, oh, I'm tired of asking this question. I already know. Keep asking it. So don't, don't ask it just until you feel satisfied. Keep asking it. So that, that is a practice that I have found really useful that I've worked with people in, privately and in groups. And if done in that way, it produces good results. So if you can emphasize the inhabiting part and get make that an easier capacity, it makes the embodied, uh, the, the embodied inquiry a little uh, a bit easier too, so. Gorgeous.
No, thank you. That was, that was really, um, that was really beautiful. And I love how it's, uh, you know, I, I sort of relate to the experience you just gave us as this is a meta practice. This is a practice that you can sort of use um, at the foundation Yes. Of any other practice that you're doing. That's exactly right. Because we don't, if asking this question means we're not, we don't know what the answer will be yeah. or what the responses will be. And I often like to reference, you know, classic uh, quote from Rilke in his letters to a young poet where he says, uh, don't search for the answers now because they couldn't be given to you because you can't live them right now. So instead ask the question and then live your, maybe one day you'll live your, your, your way into the answer. That kind of spirit is really nice. Now here, eventually something will come up. And even if it's don't know, then that's great. Then sit with not knowing. That is so much better than necessarily just going out and doing some elaborate practice, okay? It's, it's not a bad thing to sit with not knowing. Yeah. And maybe you do something because you're like, well, I, need, I, I feel like I need to have something to tether myself to. Okay, fine. But like still hold it not knowing. Or you may get a direct hit and be like, oh, I know this. And I, I know it beyond even some analysis, you know, or some outer approval, you know. So Beautiful. I, I like that because it slows it down. There's some, there, when we talk about the Emerge course, we get into more specific ways because, okay, like maybe you want some more specific tools. But I say I do it in this order, you know, like stick with this bigger question first. And then you can do other things like, you know, I, I use a value sorting exercise in Emerge, which I uh, got from uh, my partner, Alyssa, who's a psychologist and she uses a lot. And you can say, okay, well, I want something more hands-on. I'm going to list out all, get a list of values in life, what's important to me. And these values, as we know, in integral evolve and change. They're not just some neutral thing, like different right. developmental levels value different things. Yep. But out static. of the hundreds, yeah, out of the hundreds of things I could value, what are like the three most important things to me right now? And that puts us in some sort of embodied response because it's easy to pick 50 values and be like, ah, yeah, here are all my values. I'm satisfied. But then mm -hmm. in terms of a practice, that's not really useful. But if we have to choose between three of like, what's most important to me right now, that can shine light on like what practice would help me to embody that and express that. So there's ways to keep drilling down from like broad, and deep and then getting really specific and more narrow. Yep. You know. Well, what I, another thing I really like about the meta practice is, you know, to, to link it back to sort of the cognitive gear works of just how, you know, understanding how all of this works yeah. is that meta practice you just gave us brings us into exactly the sort of clearing where subject can become object. Yeah. And subject becoming object is the central mechanic of Absolutely. all of these practices, whether you're talking growing up, it's subject becoming object. Yep. Waking up, it's subject becoming object. Yep. Cleaning up, it's subject becoming object and then being reintegrated yeah. as subject again. Yep. Um, so all of these are using the same mechanic, but sort of applying it in different in integral. prepositional directions in our, in our, in our uh, overall self. Absolutely. That, to me, like if something is defining of integral in terms of theory and practice, it's that subject object oscillation and yeah. uh, fluidity. And really like what's interesting is we kind of crafted a, a new social meditation over Buddhist geeks for our integral Dharma training, but now it's just a practice that it's part of our community, you know, and it's called Zen relay noting. And it came from, we had a previous practice called Zen noting, which is basically like, if I were going to note something like there is seeing, I can do a Zen note, which is as seeing there is openness. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. But what happens is in the Zen relay noting is that the next person in the group takes your no- your previous note as openness, there is whatever. And so basically this whole practice is like a bunch of subject object oscillation oh, wow. in individual and collectively. And it was like, yeah, that's like what we wanted to do because that's a defining defining mechanism yeah. in, in, in integral practice. So that's I agree completely. Fire. We should bring that into the ILP platform sometime. Yeah, I was thinking about actually probably switching up my session sometime to be social meditation for a little bit and because it's so many good practices. So yeah, that may happen. Yep. Well, and, and we spray, we space practices are, are really, really critical for people. And this is, you know, sort of, I think maybe the final leg of, of our show here. First off, let me just say, if any of you guys watching us right now have any questions about practice that you want us yeah. to field, now's the time to get them in. You can either raise your hand, we'll turn on your camera, or you can submit written Q and A's. Um, as we wait to see if there's any questions, it's possible mm-hmm. if not, sometimes mm-hmm. we just yeah. do such a good job with these shows that we answer <laughs> people's questions before they even know they have them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yep. Other times we get great questions. So either way, yeah, um, totally. But, you know, I just did. I was I was uh, interviewed this past weekend for a podcast uh, for sort of a libertarian podcast, hmm. and one of the questions he asked me was really interesting. He said, "Look, I'm I'm just getting into integral. I'm loving what I'm seeing, right? But yeah. I approach this from more of a kind of social philosophical point of view. Like I don't have the richest inner life. I don't have a meditation practice. These things have never been so, you know, very important to me." And my response is like, that's 100% fine, because first off, one of the typologies that we use here in integral land is what quadrant do you kind of naturally orient from? Yeah. Ryan, I think you and I are both upper left oh, yeah. orienters, right? Yeah, left. Yep. So a lot of this language is, you know, you're talking about fluency. There's a natural fluency sometimes with uh-huh. some of some of this kind of language, mm-hmm. whereas, you know, as a upper left orienting type four, my my, my joke is I have a very rich inner life in the upper left and a total incompetence in every other quadrant, which be, which informs my practice, right? That yeah, my practice of, of identifying these things. So his question was for people like me, right? Who just don't have this fluency, but I'm, ju- I'm coming into the integral and I keep hearing how important practice is. How do I start? Because God, this feels like so much, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we're sort of telling people, yourself contains multitudes and you have an opportunity to practice every single facet of yourself that you can possibly find, which again is fucking overwhelming for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So we asked, how do I start? And I, I want to share like the two pieces of advice that I gave him. And I want to see if you have anything to add on there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, my, my first piece of advice was simply um, find community, right? I mean, all of this goes so much deeper when we have a shared container of practice with other people. I've noticed in myself that even something as simple as meditating is Mm -hmm. easier when you're with other people. There's there's a field that gets created that you can kind of allow yourself to sink into. And I notice, like, for example, my monkey mind is a little quieter if I'm Mm -hmm. meditating with someone than if I'm meditating by myself. So community is huge. And that's, that's a, the biggest reason why we wanted to create the ILP platform that we have on Integral Life is to actually create this um, engaged and, yeah. and embodied and fully inhabited practice community, right? But mm-hmm. also, this is this is why I came to Integral Land in the first place, because like I was a lonely Integral Island for mm-hmm. my first like 10 years of being into Integral, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I made it my mission, like at the top of my value stack is make sure no one else has to have that lonely goddamn experience that I had yeah. back in the 90s. Yeah, right? totally. 
So that becomes my sort of, so here we, we have mm -hmm. this beautiful practice container, yeah. which is a shared container with a lot of other people who are here for the same reason as you. That's, that was my first piece. That's, of advice. that's great. My yeah. second piece was start small and there's no such thing as too small. There's no such thing as too small. So um, this the last week I was on Reddit, which is mm -hmm. uh, I'm often on Reddit. And uh, <laughs> there was a, a piece that someone shared uh, an exchange they had with uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. And the exchange was, this guy was saying, Arnold, uh, I have, you know, COVID has totally messed my practice up. I haven't been to the gym in like nine months. Mm -hmm. Can you please say something that will kick my ass mm -hmm. and get me back into the gym? And Arnold's response was great. He's like, no, I will not do that. No, I will not do that. Because your practice, you going to the gym and making yourself healthy has to come from a place of self-love. And mm. I'm not going to give you a piece of advice that makes mm. you feel more resistance with yourself, right? So my advice to you is to love yourself, to forgive yourself for falling mm. off and do a single push-up once a day. Mm. Just start there. There's mm. no such thing as too small. Mm. This resonates with Ken's advice. Like yeah. for people who are like, I want to meditate, but geez, I keep trying and I keep hitting a wall and bouncing off. Yep. And I yep. don't know what to do. And Ken's advice is one minute a day, one yep. minute a day, carve out a minute to just be mindful and to look at your own mind. Yep. Chances are you'll find it easier to expand that to two minutes and then to three, four, mm -hmm. five, et cetera, as you go, do it slowly, do a minute a day for a week and then two minutes a day. And then you know what, if you hit five minutes a day and you're like, okay, I'm having a, a hard time bringing it to six, that's okay too. Take Lama Surya Das's advice. And instead of committing to like, I need to meditate for an hour a day, he says, no, break this up and punctuate your day with mm -hmm. micro meditations. Mm -hmm. If you're at the traffic light waiting at, you know, for the light to turn green, there's a 30 second opportunity to just make contact and, and, and again, look at mind, be gentle with yourself. Yeah. Make sure it's coming from a place of, of patience and self-love. Yes. Your practice has to be an expression of your self-love, not an expression mm -hmm. of lack because mm -hmm. chances are you're not going to feel Mm -hmm. The fulfillment is not an instant mm -hmm. enough gratification to keep you on the path if you're coming from a place of lack. The That's gratification great. will come, the benefit will come, but it requires a little bit of patience, a little bit of commitment. And if the only room you have in your life for that commitment is one minute a day, that is more than enough and love yourself for doing it. I love it. That's beautifully said. Yeah, the community aspect like, is gold. Let's just be part of a community. Like If you're interested and you're drawn to a community of a practitioner, hang out and see what happens, you know, if it interests you. And then the small, the small uh, attempts, but especially what you said about uh, mentioning the self-love and gentleness, that's what's really important. And for me, that's like what we did earlier with the question, that's what that gets at there. So yeah. like anything that comes out of that will be trustworthy and will have um, momentum to it and depth to it. I also want to mention that like, what's interesting is again, assumptions about practice, like, is there an assumption that I need to be practicing a certain amount? Because why, for what reason, why am I practicing and where am I at my practice? So in waking up, we use the phases of insight over at uh, Buddhist Geeks and there's many models, but um, it's a, it's a cycle that can repeat, you know, as we deepen in practice, even though in, in itself it's complete. Um, but there's a phase called efforting in which that's where a person is really trying to do is like put together a practice and effort and really go at it. And then there's, a f there's phases later in, in the waves of wakefulness where you, uh, a phase we call always already. 
And at that phase, a person has to let go of practice. And so I have people I work with who are like, I'm practicing uh, two, three hours a day, you know, and I'm like, they're smoking me on practice uh, in terms of time. But the thing is like where they're at. So for some people that may be exactly what, what they uh, need to do, practice a bunch, but then other people might be like, well, your practice is going to be letting go of practice because to go deeper, you have to let go of a feeling like you have to practice. So it depends on the context and where you're at. We can even say in physical training, it's well known the importance of rest, right? Yep. So Yep. We just have to pay attention. We can't look for those assumptions everywhere. It's like, what is the context of where I'm at and what is needed and why am I practicing? And then triangulate, you know, with that of like what I need. So I've got a, I've got an always already spiritual bypassing joke that I like. To yeah. Uh, I often, when someone's asked me, so what's your practice? I'll say, uh, I practice way woo way with an extra helping of woo. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so the practice of not practicing with an extra emphasis on not practicing. Practicing. Perfect, man. You're, you're already there. <laughs> Always you're, already, baby. Always already, man. Don't need no practice. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, so the only oh. question we got so far, Audrey asks, uh, what was the libertarian podcast? Would it be okay to listen to that interview? Of course it's okay to listen to that interview. I don't think it's been published yet. Um, but it was on, uh, I think it was called Blackbird Podcast. Um, it was a nice talk. Um, the guy I was talking to was, was, was really cool, cool. very curious. Um, nice. it, you know, it's a libertarian podcast. So these guys are coming at Integral with a particular, you know, sort of ideology um, hmm. that I think, you know, the guy I talked to th does a pretty good job of holding a bit lightly and saying, how does this fit into sort of this overall meshwork? So it was a very, it was a very fun and rich conversation. And we didn't actually talk about libertarianism like at all. <laughs> funny That's integral, awesome. which is uh i know a lot more about integral than i do libertarianism so i'm glad it went that direction <laughs> nice nice yeah well cool well see if there's any other questions yeah i know in the beginning of the episode we had a hand raised oh did we um, I missed it. but i don't see her in the group anymore so she might have oh, okay. uh she might have bounced out but yeah if anyone else has any questions let us know does integral live have a practice program that gives some backbone to covering most dimensions um, I'm trying to parse the question, um, practice program that gives more backbone to the covering most dimensions. So or the community practice community that we got going, yeah, it's a program, the most areas of integral practice. Okay. So, yeah. So, I mean, let me just first say, um, you know, last week I actually did a, uh, a, a renovated version of our practice page. So if you go to integrallife.com right now and click practice, you're going to see three major sections sort of stacked on top of each other. The first one is an introduction to integral life practice, sort of how to go about thinking about ILP, how to assemble a practice that, um, mm. you know, Ken often talks about, you know, this is sort of a, a cross training practice. Like if you're doing your growing up alongside your waking up, they're both going to sort of help each other. Right. Mm. Um, so we have, you know, a nice little guide there to help you. Uh, and then the next section is a calendar, a monthly calendar, which is a really cool interface, I think, uh, that shows all of our upcoming live practice sessions um, that you can attend if you're a member of Integral Life. Underneath that, we have a collection, another collection of standalone self-directed practices that you can do anytime you want by yourself. So right there on the page, you're going to find just like um, a cornucopia mm. of mm. possible practices. But if you're looking for sort of the single the fewest practices that cover the most territory, <laughs> right? Which is yeah. such an integral request. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're always 10 times more efficient than everyone else, Ryan. You know that. Yeah, right, of course. Um, 
you know, I would suggest checking out Nomali has a, uh, Nomali Pereira has a regular four quadrant mission statement practice that is killer. Um, and it's been very, very popular with people. And what's great about that is it's sort of unabashed integral. Like a lot of our practice sessions, like we actually try to put the integral glossary down, you know what I mean? And like focus on experience and less on words and phrases like quadrants, levels, lines, mm. states, type, et cetera. It's all in there, but it's implicit to the experience. It's not something we're making object out of. No, Molly does a great job of sort of straddling both and helping you organize your life according to the principles of the four quadrants. So check that one out for sure. Um, let's see, we have, I mean, the, here's the thing is in order to get the most bang for your buck, I think what you need to do is take a look at our upcoming practices and choose one from each of the verticals. And those verticals are one waking up practice. Hey, give Ryan's monthly practice a shot. Another great one we do is with Keith Martin Smith. You guys sort of actually kind of alternate mm. with um, mm. you know, the, the, the empty practices that you guys <laughs> nice. do. Those are great waking up practices for you guys. Um, we have a number of growing up practices. Choose one. Lisa does a semi-regular practice she does of reintegrating previous stages, for example. That's a practice with Lisa Frost. I encourage you to check that out. We have tons of cleaning up practices, often led by Nomali, um, often led by Lisa. I think we have a couple being led by Lee Mason. Those are really, really great. Just, just choose one and dip your toe in. And then finally, a showing up practice. Um, all of these are available on Integral Life. If you can choose just one from each and say, okay, this month, right? I'm going to do first week, I'm going to do one growing up practice. Next week, I'm going to do one waking up practice. Week after that, one, et cetera. Just really, really small bites here. Just get your toe in the water. See if the experience feels right to you. Um, if it does, you've got a whole breadcrumb trail of other practices for you to follow and all these rabbit holes for you to jump down, um, et cetera. So there's as much depth. That's the nice thing I like about integral life practice. It's scalable. There's as much depth here as you want to get from it, right? The more of yourself you bring, the more depth you're going to receive, which means if you only want a little taste, you just want to put your toe in the water, that's fine. And those experiences are available for you. If you want to like have a committed practice every single day of the week with a community of people who are like you, that's available as well. So anywhere in between is completely fine and is totally available. And I invite you all to check that out. Nice. Beautiful. All right. Cool. Well, if we don't, let me check uh, YouTube real quick. I don't think there's anything. Right nope. We're good, man. Nice. Well, uh, Dude, this has been a great show. I mean, this has yeah. been helpful for me. I mean, that's, well, I'm that's... happy we, we did this because I, I, like I said, I thought maybe we had done it before, but I didn't realize that we hadn't. So I'm glad this is out there and I hope it's helpful for people. Yeah. And I, and I hope people are feeling, you know, I feel a little bit lit up right now. I'm feeling a little bit um, inspired to re-engage my own practice. And I hope yeah. all of you guys out there are feeling the same way. We want to know what you think of this episode or any others. Um, so let us know. Leave a comment right down there, wherever you find it, either on YouTube or uh, integrallife.com, et cetera. And we will be happy to pick up your questions. Oh, Ryan, we have a last minute hand raised. Should we take it? Do we? Yeah. John Grazer. Oh, I, don't think, I don't think I see the hand raising. Stuff. Oh, really? I do. I'm bringing them on. Okay. Hi guys, just a quick question. Um, when I'm trying to explain development, we've talked a lot about practice today and a lot of that's oriented toward development or growing mm -hmm. up. Often when I'm trying to 
introduce the idea of development to a, to a neophyte. The common question I get is, well, okay, so how do I grow up? What do I do? Right? Mm-hmm. And here's what I'm asking. I'm, maybe I'm missing it. Maybe this is carried somewhere within the site or within Ken's work or, or Ryan yours, but I don't, I've never seen a comprehensive treatment of everything we know so far about how people can grow up or increase development. I mean, I know it's been addressed in a cursory ma- manner. In fact, there's even something I saw from you on the, on the site the other day from many months ago, Corey. But is there something I'm missing where there's some kind of comprehensive structural approach to here's no. what we know so far <laughs> about growing I, up and how- I don't, to- I don't think you're missing that in terms of a practical sense. So like um, I have a, I gave a talk on this for the integral Dharma training and it's on uh, Buddhist Geeks channel. So you can watch that and see what I had to say on that. It'll just say integral Dharma growing up. Um, and uh, the thing is, is that like, yeah, practically speaking, if you look at Robert Keegan, who's really popular and, and Ken references him and, and Ken, there's not, there's not a lot of like explicit practices like the other categories, like where it's like, oh, we know if you do just take up these practices. And I think that's partly because we're just now it's like the thing we're probably figuring out now, like more, it's being discovered in real time, but also the, the nature of growing up because there's structures of consciousness. And as Ken says, we, we see through them, you know, that there isn't something, it's, it's less predictable in terms of like what we'll do it. So I boiled it down for me, like community, um, surrounding yourself with people who, who tend to elicit you growing up. So like hang around a person where you're like, I don't quite get it them you know i don't quite get how they seem but i feel like they get something in a deeper way than i do there's something triggered for that um even keegan you know he has that book immunity to change and that's probably one of the few practices i know about that can help you to 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 do that like where you write down assumptions like what we did today and then you try to create an experiment out of them and test the assumptions out in life and 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 hopefully that triggers magically the, the, the this process of disembedding the the subjective structures but i don't think there's anything out there there's not that much out there that's like conclusive in terms of a practical there's a lot of theoretical that's right so that's that's my experience so far but i think with those factors it's more about conditions like if we look at children too we try to set them up with a lot of conditions we kind of predictably know those stages so we know how to interact with them more but as far as adults we don't like Keegan said, it's only in the last couple of decades that we're even kind of coming around to being like, oh, adults keep developing, you know, but when we have more familiarization with um, adult developmental stages that go beyond, you know, like where we reach as adolescents, then maybe we'll have more practices, but yeah. Yeah. yeah it's uh, first off, it's an amazing question and it's, and it's a, uh, such a, it's a complicated yeah, question because when we're right. talking about growing up, I mean, what exactly are we talking? Are we talking about purely our cognitive growth through these stages of development? Are we talking about our, you know, slower, usual moral growth and the growth of our views and values uh, through these different levels? So there's any number of lines that we can talk about that grow up over time, right? But I have the sense that you're asking, how do you get someone who's at orange and bring him into green? And then how do you take someone who's a green and bring him into teal and then turquoise and et cetera? And it is such a difficult question because with all of these other practices, with waking up and with cleaning up, um, well, I'll just leave, leave it to those two, there tends to be like an experience that you have, you know what I mean? It's like, I just had an awakening experience, a state experience. And, you know, you have to figure out how to orient to that and relate to that and all that. But there's there's something, there's some sort of- Reliable and repeatable. 
Yeah. And well, there's a signpost that says, okay, yeah. you've just, you've just hit this mile marker and kind of like yeah. growing up doesn't really have a whole lot of those. It's more like, well, when I think about how I thought about the world five years ago, I can see it yes. change, but there was never that single moment or day or where it's like, oh, wow, I just leveled up. Right. You don't, so you don't really yeah. have that kind those kinds of yeah. signposts. Um, yeah. And Ken even talks about how, like, what a mystery. He goes, why is it that some people seem to hit the ground running despite their sort of socioeconomic circumstances? Some people are born into poor families. Some people are born into abusive families and they just like skyrocket in their growth and development. Other people are born with all the comforts in the world and their development, you know, sort of naturally hovers at a kind of lower level. Um, so it's, it's really, really complicated. And I think people are still trying to figure out how exactly the mechanics of growth really work. Um, that said, I think there are things that help. Um, Ryan, I think you pointed out to the biggest one, seek out company that is sort of a half step, you know, over your head. You know what I mean? Like seek out people. That's why I love my job so much. I'm perpetually mm -hmm. surrounded by people who are smarter and more realized than myself. And I get to benefit from that, man. Right. You know, it's, 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 it's one of the things that has served my own growth over the last 15, 20 years of being here. We also know that there's some other kind of micro practices that, um, you know, kind of grease the wheels a little bit. Like we know that uh, if we're doing waking up practice, this is actually solidifying our capacity to, to, to make subject into object, right? Mm -hmm. So we're, we're strengthening that muscle. We're using a waking up practice to strengthen that muscle. And then that muscle serves us in this sort of slow, you know, growing up process that we have. Um, the other thing I would mention is, you know, in terms of the growing up practices that we offer on the site, it's not usually growing up practices in terms of, oh, you're green, here's how to be teal, because we can't do that in an hour long session, right? So what, what these practices are more focusing on is, if you want to go from green to teal, then be the healthiest green you can possibly be right now. So Lisa will have an integrating stages practice, which isn't about reaching up to the next one, but rather integrating wherever you happen to be. If you're at orange, if you reintegrate all of these stages, you know, which can be tough for people at these altitudes, right? We kind of, we repress these, these, these types of things. We push them away. If we can reintegrate them, then that makes us that much more ripe for another vertical transformation to the next stage of development, whatever that happens to be. And that'll be maybe a little bit accelerated by the company that you keep. It'll be a little bit accelerated by some of the waking up training that we do, some of the state training that we do. Um, but overall, man, it's like, you know, we got to look at these in terms of like five-year chunks mm -hmm. rather than like, if I commit to this practice for six months, it'll bear this fruit. Um, yeah. Well, and first of all, I mean, the only people who have arrived at a certain developmental stage will even think about growing up as a practice that they can take on. So we have to differentiate between that. And then for that, I think, yeah, just emphasizing the subject object, um, flexing of that muscle is really good. And then seeking out people. And that becomes, I think it becomes a lot easier at a certain point. I think it just becomes a lot easier for, for people to just continue the growing up process. But before that, to me, I think it, it requires that people feel the limitations of their current way of, in, of interpreting, engaging in the world, because until a person feels the limitations and until it feels kind of a little bit painful and limiting, yep. they're not going to, they're not going to, why, why would we seek out for, why would we try to get, transcend or deconstruct something that is just serving as just fine as far as we're concerned. So, you know, the, 
that's why partly it's a mystery to me. It's like, you, well, put people in environments where that they get challenged in a certain yeah. sense, where their way of being can't isn't sufficient, you know. But I think the world is getting more complex, and that's why growing up. That's when I interviewed Ken. He said growing up was the, the number one practice out of everything for him, and he said that the practice would be just trying to inhabit other people's perspectives basically i mean like trying to understand their subjective so and that's something you can do for everybody it's like okay can you practice trying to see it from their angle and try to make sense out of it that's a classic thing that's done in therapy you know all the time so yeah this is, is a good that question. helpful Jim? first of all thank you very much for treating a completely complicated and diverse question very well and very very rapidly and i appreciate it I've added to my list of things and uh, I thank you and I look forward to developing more items as we uh, go. That's well, fantastic. thank you so much for your question. It was a great one. Yeah, that was an awesome question to end on actually because that was uh, that was the juice right there, right? And yeah. it's probably the first question that people are coming into conversations like these with because you know when people think of integral, they think of like these colors, these altitudes and they think of like these quadrants and they say, okay, how can I practice both of these obviously important elements of the integral vision and how can I go from this color to that color and Ryan the point that you brought in terms of like you're probably not going to do it until you feel the limitations of your own stage until you start to feel you know the other piece of it too I think I want to invite us just to remember is that when we're looking at other people and we sort of you know we do our little judgments we do our little assessments of each other all the time right sometimes Mm. passive aggressively hopefully we're doing it in conscious and conscientious ways But oftentimes we gauge another person's development, not on like their actual sort of cognitive capacities, but by like what kind of views they hold. Mm -hmm. And I think we have to remember here that when it comes to our overall development, our views are often the last thing to get pushed through this new cognitive filter. So Mm -hmm. oftentimes like our, our, our actual cognitive capacities are up here and our views seem to be lagging behind and we mm. judge each other based on the views because it's the most visible mm. you know, part of ourselves that we share with each other yeah. every single day. But you know, oftentimes if we can find sort of those little opportunities to like point out the dissonance being like, you know, you're, you're sort of smarter than your view here, that can help people re-examine you know what I mean? Some of the views that they've just taken yeah. for granted or these presuppositions they've been walking around with that they just haven't had an opportunity to push through this filter yet. So sometimes that can create a sense of rapid development because it's like, oh, I need to completely reevaluate sort of, you know, this, how I've been thinking about X because I haven't really pushed it through this new, you know, mental filter that I have. Um, so oftentimes that can help people as well. Mm-hmm. Nicely done, and thanks. By, by the way, just so you know, there is a prerequisite I deal with the, these people I deal with, and it is what you said, Ryan. They have to have a desire to change. And I said, why do you even want to know? And yeah. so I get that. And then, then you get really into, into the heavy weeds because you got to figure out where they are, kind of center of gravity anyway, yeah. and what line are they interested in developing? And are yeah. they even aware of lines? So it's a complicated I think question. It's, I, complicated I agree. Totally, totally agree. Thank you. Yeah, John, thanks so much for the great question, man. All right, Ryan, that was great. Uh, that, I, I love that. And I love it when people uh, let us turn on their cameras and have some. Yeah, that was, that was a good one to end on. We're lucky. You know, I was saying uh, it, it, it's important to seek out people who are smarter and more developed and more awake than we are. And God, I get that from our own audience so often. Yeah, and I love it's that. Great. Just, yeah, 100%. Yep. All right, man. 
Well, thank you as always. Yeah, likewise. Dude. Your wisdom, man. Likewise to you too, my friend. All right. I love you, buddy. And love uh, you too. We'll, we'll talk to everyone uh, next month. Oh, hey, real quick plug. Ken Show's coming back this weekend, baby. Oh, hey. Ken Show, live with Ken Wilbur this Saturday, 3 p.m. Mountain Time, 2 p.m. Pacific, I think that translates to. We're going to be talking uh, the Eye of Spirit. I want him to sort of give us his most up-to-date definitions of words like transrational, transpersonal, uh, etc. So it's going to be a really, really rich conversation. I hope you guys can all do this. Awesome. All right, guys. In the meantime, peace out. Thank you. Take care.